Last week I talked about this book that I've been reading called More by Simon Ponsonby, uh, English guy. And I, I spoke about being filled with the Spirit, the importance of being filled with the Spirit. And I said it is the best book I've ever read and that everyone in the church needs to read it. We've ordered a bunch of copies and they're already gone. I think there's one left right now. Having said that, I've been reading this other book that is awesome. <laughs> you know, I'm an exaggerator. I'm an extreme person, you know, and that's why I make bad decisions with the church at times and have to come back and ask for forgiveness, you know. And, uh, but this book I'm reading by John Wimber is called Power Evangelism. His book, Power Healing, is amazing. Um, when I got back from the life course weekend that I went on, literally the next night, I was driving down the road with that John Wimber book, reading about how to cast out a demon on the way to cast out a demon. And I had never done that before. I didn't even know that, like, I was supposed to do stuff like that, you know? I didn't even know, you know, people could have demons still or whatever. And uh, it was amazing. But I started reading this book, and it is amazing. This book, oh, my word. The good news is they're on sale for six bucks. The other ones are 15. And so these are on sale for six bucks. I think we still have some. We have some left still, right, Jody? We have one left. We have one left. And this one. But you're not going to get this. All right? But, um, you know, we've been teaching about the... But this book, I'm just saying, Power Evangelism. That's what my talk's on today. And basically, I'm going to talk to you about... We're going to get rid of the misunderstanding of what evangelism is so that we have a correct understanding of how we're called to evangelize. And Wimber basically outlines it in a great way. But he does a great job of creating a foundation and helping, he writes about the kingdom of God first so that we understand the importance of seeing and under, believing there's this kingdom of God that's opposing this kingdom of evil. So there's some great history, some great biblical stuff in there, and some great motivation. Crazy stories, amazing stories in here, true stories of things and how God or how he's applied this to, uh, to his life when he was alive. And the Vineyard Church came out of this movement you know, just him and 50 people is how they started, and now there's churches all over the world, amazing churches, and that's pretty much what we're modeled after. But um, I say all that to say this. We've been talking about the values of River City Church, and if you don't know what the values are, they're basically, we have these four values, and these aren't the only things that we feel like are important for a church to be pursuing. We pursue lots of other things that aren't mentioned on here, worship, for example, or discipleship, for example, or community, or, I mean, there's just lots of things. But the four values, we came up with these based on, the, you know, what we saw as central to Jesus' ministry. These weren't add-ons. And so we feel like this will equip us to be the church that God's called us to be and to reach the people that God's called us to reach. In Jacksonville, beyond Jacksonville, and all, all over the world. And we understand that the kingdom of God is being worked out through many churches that are doing a great job. But as we pursue Christ as River City Church... These four values will guide us and speak to us about what that looks like and who we minister to and who we reach out to. The first value that we have, I talked about last week, was the importance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit is what I talked about. That everything comes out of that. The next one is intimacy with the Father, and I'll talk about that in three weeks. Intimacy with the Father, how that our love for God is central to everything happening for the right reason. We can do the works of the kingdom, and it can look like the kingdom, but if it's not motivated by love, Scripture says it'll burn up. 
right? And so intimacy with the Father is hugely important. And then the next one uh, is ministry to the poor. Ministry to the poor I'm going to be speaking about next week. Um, Why ministering to the poor is not an additional ministry to the church. It is supposed to be one of the central ministries of the church because it was central to Jesus in his life. And then the fourth one is evangelism. And that's the one that I'm talking about tonight and our, this morning, this morning. Last night I talked about it too. Last night, if you go watch the talk, it's a great example of a bad talk that was really powerful. That's why I tell everyone. It was really raw, lots of scripture. I've tamed it down a little bit for you guys, but hopefully we'll have the same effect. But um, when we talk about evangelism, we normally think about verbally communicating the gospel. You know, if I know the four laws of, you know, if, how many have been forelawed? How many people have been forelawed before in here? Share the gospel for the fourth thing. You know, like you're over here separated from God because of sin, and God's over here and he can't be with you because, because he's holy. And there's this big, you know, ravine in between that goes a million miles down, a million miles up. You, you know, you can't get to God. Oh, but look, Jesus died. And he stretched out his arms on a cross and it bridges the gap. And you walk across Jesus' arm and you get to God, right? Pop and lock, baby. Pastor's got to know what pastor's got to know, you know? And so, what, well, Alex? You like that? <laughs> so, and we've been for long, we've been communicated this idea, we've been told this idea that, oh, this is what a good evangelist is a good verbal communicator. Someone who can clearly communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, can clearly, you know, verbalize the gospel of Jesus Christ. Actually, I looked at, I Googled it, because, you know, I knew Tom would be here, and it says this. Zealous, this is what evangelism definition, zealous preaching, talking about, and advocacy of the gospel. Evangelism refers to the practice of relaying information about a particular set of beliefs so that others will believe that. A technical evangelist, technically an evangelist is a person who attempts to build a critical mass of support over a certain issue as to convince someone to believe in it. And so, again, right there, that's what we've been told evangelism is. And so all of us, not myself included, because I am a good verbal communicator, but the rest of you that aren't, your whole life, you've said, well, I'm not responsible for evangelizing then. I'm not an evangelist because I can't communicate the gospel clearly. I, I, I've never been given the opportunity. Everyone I've ever talked about Jesus has felt awkward and nothing's ever happened. And so I must not be an evangelist. Well, here's... The good news and the bad news. The good news is, or the bad news is, that you're all evangelists. Every one of you is responsible for being an evangelist. I'm going to define what that really is. The good news is, is that it's a lot easier than you think. It's a lot more fun than you think. A lot more exciting than you think. I would say it's the most exciting thing about being a Christian, is being an evangelist. Because an evangelist, as defined by Jesus is somebody who takes back what the enemy has stolen. And so it has more to do with warfare, you know, and fighting for what's right, fighting for people's lives, than it does has, have to do with sharing verbal communication with people. And in war, we know that it's messy. We know that it never looks the same. And we know that there's a lot at stake. And we know that there's lots of people needed in war, not just a few. You see, in Genesis, when God spoke creation into existence, what existed before that was chaos, darkness. 
This Hebrew word called tohu of a bohu or something like that, all right? I never forget that. You don't forget a word like that. You hear that in seminary, like tohu of a bohu. You know, I don't even think that's like totally right, but tohu of a bohu is what existed before God spoke, okay? So there's this darkness, and, there's, and the word means chaos, badness, okay? And then God spoke, and what happened when God spoke is his kingdom came and created order. Things were created as they should be, all right? And like I said two weeks ago when I spoke, our responsibility is to further God's kingdom. Originally, Adam and Eve were supposed to extend the Garden of Eden through the rest of the world. That when the world was created, it was not created perfectly. Heresy button. I said that last time. Because God's design was for man and woman to rule over, have dominion over, and extend the Garden of Eden over the rest of the world, to bring his created order over the rest of the world. Okay? Does that make sense? And that's why he told us to do that. And we have the authority to do that. He gave us the power to do that. But then we fell in sin. All right? And when sin entered the world, we lost that authority. The enemy. But the Bible says the devil took that authority from us. And we lost that privilege. And God said, so this is what it's going to be like from now on. You're still going to have to work, subdue and rule over. But it's going to be painful. And there's going to be brokenness. And there's going to be death. And there's sin now, and it's all not good. And yeah, you screwed it up. You gave your authority away, and so it's just not going to be as it should be. But, and God in all his wisdom and love for us, pursued us, came after us. Jesus died on the cross. And again, this was the greatest offensive move, move in the war against the enemy. He dies on the cross to give us our authority back. So that we can have our authority back and the power back that's needed to continue moving God's kingdom forward. You see, there's this misperception of among, among Christians in church that somehow we're on the defensive and like Satan's overwhelming us. I'm like, oh, we got to work out. Oh, Jesus, help me. Look, at I've been hammered. I'm weary. I'm tired. I'm doing all this stuff, you know, and he's overpowering. He's overwhelming. And, and it's, it's like this, you know, we're always on our heels, Right? We feel like that, don't we? It's because we haven't been taught correctly our position as an evangelist. An evangelist is someone like Jesus who has come to, sake and to, 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 to find and restore what's been taken. To seek and to save the lost is the biblical words for that. All right? And so Jesus comes on the scene and there's chaos again. Why? Because we failed and we screwed up. And so Jesus comes on the scene and God says, I'm going to fix this. And I'm going to fix it with my son. So Jesus comes and gives us our authority and our power back. And he says, and this is what it looks like to extend the reign of God throughout the world. It looks like me winning back what the enemy has taken. So he comes on the scene and everything's been taken. And he comes as light and his love and his power and his authority comes into the earth. And he says, this is what it looks like to be obedient to my Father's will for your life. This is what I'm doing. I'm gonna show you what it looks like, what pleases my Father. I'm only gonna do what my Father tells me to do. I'm only gonna say what my Father tells me to say. I'm only gonna pray for the people that my Father tells me to pray for. I'm only gonna heal the people that God tell, my Father tells me to heal because this is what his kingdom looks like. It looks like first me, obe- me being obedient to him. And the reason I'm obedient to him is because I know his love for me. He experiences that in the river. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. I love him. 
more than anything. On that foundation, intimacy with the Father, his ministry is birthed from there. He goes and he's tempted by the devil and he comes out and starts his public ministry. Okay? And so Jesus comes in and he sets down. He's like, all right, it's go time, baby. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And guess what? Peter, on you I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome. And, it, and, and so we hear that line, we're like, the gates of Hades are going to overcome. You know, that's not it. It's this offensive move against the enemy and the enemy's kingdom that Jesus began. Offensive. We are on the offensive. We are on the path of taking back what has been claimed by the enemy. And that looks like ministry to the poor. That looks like people who have been harassed, broken people, lost people, saving people who are lost. And so we see this model in scripture of Jesus never being on his heels, always being on the offensive, even to the point of dying on the cross, choosing to be there. Could have called angels, could have come down at any time. And remember what I said a few weeks ago, you're not the one that kept him there. His love for you did not keep him on the cross. His obedience to his father's will to build his kingdom is what kept him on the cross. And Jesus says, guys, this is what it looks like to move my kingdom, the kingdom of my father forward. And we read, and I did a study. I've been reading just all, this book, man, it screwed me up. It just wrecked my life again. I got wrecked five years ago when I started leading the church. It's been a mess ever since. And I read stuff sometimes, and it just makes things more messy and makes things more fun, though. And so we get this picture from the life of Jesus, who is the one we are to follow, that being an evangelist looks like moving the kingdom of God forward. Where there's darkness, we bring his light. Where there's brokenness, we bring his healing. Across the board, in the church and out of the church, constantly this is going on. That's what it means to be an evangelist. To seek and to save that which was lost, physically, in communities, emotionally, in the hearts of believers as we're being healed, and non-believers, and spiritually, casting out demons, physically, bringing healing, so the deaf hear, the blind see. All of those things are what it looks like for us to take back what Satan has stolen from us. Does that make sense? That's what an evangelist is, and that's why we're all called to be evangelists, because we've all been given the same authority and the same power to do what Jesus, Jesus tells us that. I have all authority, and I'm giving it, so you guys can go and do the Great Commission, so you can go and seek and save that which is lost. And I've just showed you what it looks like. And so he's given us this authority, and you're like, well, if I have the authority of God and the power of God, then why don't I see more things happening in my life? Good question. That's a great question. I'm going to motivate you today, not using guilt, and show you how we're called to respond to this, this challenge as a believer and follower of Jesus, to be evangelists. Because a lot of us, like think of our children, like that become, like think about little John T. Like he's become, he's fallen, he's obviously has a heart for Christ. The Holy Spirit's up here. He sees pictures. The Spirit's in him. He's a believer. You know, he's up here talking about his relationship with God and he starts crying. That doesn't happen in the flesh. That's not anything but the Holy Spirit working stuff up in him. He'll remember that. Watch. When God does stuff with him for the next 10 years, how he'll think back to this moment or his parents or however this all was orchestrated. But that's the Holy Spirit in him doing, doing stuff. Now, I can tell John T., John T., you got the authority, the same authority as I have. 
But what, how he works that out, the power that he would use, the b- believing that would be hard for someone his age to really believe that that's true, wouldn't it? And so what will happen with John T. over the next, you know, month, year, for the rest of his life, he will grow in the belief that he is this person that Jesus says that he is, that he has this authority that Jesus says that he has, that he can function in this power that Jesus says that he can. And as he does, as, he, as God gives him faith, faith is a gift, the more faith that he has, the more he begins to exercise that authority and that power, the more he brings the kingdom of God to bear in the different life situations that he's in. The same is true for us. Some of you are hearing this message for the first time. And so you believe in your mind the right information. Oh, yeah, I know I have authority. Jesus gave it to me. I know I have the power of God because the Spirit's living in me. Christ in me, Christ in me. Yeah, I believe all that. But you've never exercised your authority and power. You've never demonstrated that you believe it. And as a result, you haven't brought forth the kingdom of God. Wimber's whole thing in this book is all about life change and transformation, which is our measuring stick for success. We've said as a church, we are going to measure success, not by numbers, not by buildings, not by finance, not by anything, except for life transformation. And so as a leader of a church like that, Jesus says transformation only comes as we extend the power of God out to where there's darkness. That's what my kingdom looks like. That's what my father's kingdom looks like. If you want to see real life change, no more darkness, only light. That's where, that's where there's true change. That's how we measure it, okay? And so that's our responsibility and role as evangelists. That's what evangelists do. That's what we do. And when we look at the ministry of Christ through the gospels, the first thing that happens is he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the, the good news. Well, where's the kingdom of God? It's in him. He is the king. The kingdom has come, okay? In him, okay? Do you understand that? You get that, okay? So he says this, repent. So that's like his inaugural speech, and this is what it looks like in Luke four 18. I'm gonna release people who are oppressed. I'm gonna bring freedom here. I'm gonna do this there. The, my father's favor is gonna fall, and as it does, things are gonna change. And then he proceeds to do this through the gospel. As we read the gospels, about the actual ministry of Jesus, what does this really look like? We see two things always happening. We see the proclamation, the gospel being spoken to people, and then we see the demonstration of the gospel through power, through power. We see people's, we see transformation. We see people healed. That's transformation. Like we see like Allegro, you know, like chicken, you know, like here we go. We see stuff like that. People who are blind, they can see. How do we know that he's the Messiah, said John the Baptist. How do we know that he's the one? Jesus, how do we know that you're the one? Well, just tell him what you see. This is what my kingdom looks like. Tell, he knows what my father's kingdom is supposed to look like. It looks like the deaf hearing. It looks like the blind seeing. The lost are being saved. This is what my father's kingdom looks like. So as evangelists, guess what our one measuring stick is? Transformation. Demons being cast out. People being transformed emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Does that mean there always has to be a physical healing whenever someone's life, someone decides to turn and follow God? No. But as a church, as we hear the stories of what's happening, as we are evangelists, we should be hearing stories about demons being cast out. We should be hearing stories about people seeing who are blind. So a little girl who came up here last night, had to be six maybe, seven, comes up during testimony time. She says this, she says, I was with my mom, she was cooking, boiling honey spilled all over my face, third degree burns. She says, I remember when I was in the ambulance driving to the hospital, 
Jesus came and spoke to me. Is she saying all this last night? That's why it comes Saturday night. You're missing the good stuff, all right? So she says this last night. She says, Jesus comes and speaks to me. I go, what did he say? She says, he said, I'm getting to the root of the problem. I'm getting to the root of the problem. What's bringing you pain? They get to the hospital, take off everything, and there's not a burn on her face. Nothing, nothing. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. There is physical, emotional, and spiritual change that God gets credit for so that he is glorified. And so there's people that are proclaiming and demonstrating this is what the ministry of Christ looks like. I love our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. They say something out there. I, get, I can get going. I, when I preach in Pentecost, like I go to like visit churches and the people will start getting me going like that. Oh, you think I say inappropriate accidental things here. I get emotional, start like losing myself a little bit. It's game over. My wife, you know, I'm in a dangerous place. You know, in seminary, when you finish seminary, they tell you, you know, just enough Greek to be dangerous. Well, I didn't even take Greek. And so I, I, have an, I, I and that's what I kind of feel like. Whenever I, when I read a new book or I start getting on this new, I'm excited about something, I, I learn just enough. I read about two or three chapters, just enough to be dangerous. Laura's like, don't say anything, honey, that you're not sure of. It's too late. So in Matthew, in Matthew 4, 23, I did a study of the kingdom of God and what it looks like as Jesus went forth and proclaiming it. And we hear and we see consistently proclamation and demonstration. Here's just one of the places. And he went through all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Proclamation and demonstration. Every one of the miracles, except for one, the dude was lowered down into the house church that was going on, occurred outside of the church. There really wasn't an established church. I read that quote somewhere. Someone said it. I was like, yeah, well, there wasn't. He even done the Peter thing yet with the rock. But I say that to say this. The gifts of the kingdom, when we read the gospels, exist for the furthering of the kingdom. You want to see more power? You want to see more gifts? Then stuff's going to happen here. Every week we see God heal and do stuff here. You want to see more happen? Based on what scripture says, Christ tells us, then move my father's kingdom forward. It looks like this. I promise you this. I wouldn't ask you to do something that I'm not going to equip you to do. I wouldn't ask you to go out and extend my father's kingdom if I'm not going to step up with you. You can't do anything. You can't make a miracle happen, Antley. I have to do that. So it makes me more dependent on God. So this is how this practically plays out in our life. All right, because normally we feel like motivated for guilt because there's lots of people around us that don't know Jesus. And we're always wondering, man, I should have prayed for that person. I should have said something to that person. I should have done this or I should have done that. We feel guilty. God doesn't use, want to use guilt to motivate us. The enemy does to condemn us. All right? So I'm reading this book. I'm reading the Gospels. I'm going through and saying, this is so clear. You know, I only have to pray for who God tells me to pray for. That's what Jesus did. I should only expect him to heal the people that he says that he's going to tell me he's going to heal. That's what Jesus did. And when I'm obedient to just walk through those doors when he opens them, guess what's going to happen? Bam. 
kingdom of God's going to come. Bam! The kingdom of God's going to come, you know? And so, literally, I'm reading all this information. I'm like, all right, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to Lowe's, right? I'm like, bring it, Lord. I'm like driving down the road. I'm looking at everyone I can look at. Speak to me. Who are you going to, who do you want me to, who do you want me to pray for? Who do you want me to pray for? Who's going to get healed today? You know, I'm looking around for the person with the chicken arm, you know, who's God's going to heal or like the defunct leg who's living like this or, or, you know, the person who's blind and looking for patches, broken leg. I'm looking for anything. I figure God will start with something easy like that where it's going to be obvious, right? So I'm driving into Lowe's, I'm looking around, I'm seeing nothing, I'm like, Lord, is that the one? Nope, not, not the one, I'm not hearing anything, not hearing anything. It was funny, earlier that day, he reminded me what his voice is like, because I'm literally asking, is that the one, is that the one, is that the one? And the way he reminded me, he's so funny how he does stuff like this. I was getting ready to have a sandwich, I said, thank you, Lord, and he said, you're welcome. <laughs> literally, in my mind, I said, like, thank you, Lord, and he said, you're welcome. But earlier in the day, because he knew where I was going to be, like, asking to hear his voice. What is his voice where you hear like? I kept thinking about him saying, you're welcome. I was clear. That was him. You know, I've never had that happen before. This guy is so funny that way. When I'm stepping out, so I'm walking through Lowe's, like, on this mission. Like, pushing my cart, shopping, looking around, you know. I get through, and I don't hear him say anything, all right? Nothing the whole day at Lowe's. And you can spend a whole day at Lowe's and you just moved. And I get to the checkout register and the guy's sitting down, right? Not standing, like everyone else. I'm like, checking him out. <laughs> Lord, is this the one? No one's behind me. I'm thinking, he's going to tell me this is the one. The guy's kind of friendly and nice, talking chit-chat. Probably think I'm hitting him on him, you know, or something. <laughs> and he's sitting down. It's hard to not check someone out and look at their butt when they're sitting down, Right? And so nothing, nothing happens. He doesn't say anything. So I leave Lowe's like, well, that was not fun. Thanks for nothing, Lord, you know. And I got into my car and I left and I didn't feel guilty. I didn't feel bad. I didn't feel sad. God, this is your game. I'm the door that he invites me to walk through or open for someone who was lost. You know, Jesus, this is when we were praying. Jesus said, you know, he just reminded me. He's like, Annie, I'm the door. I'm the door. And all you can do is open it. All you can do, but you can't make people walk through. You know, that's all we're called to be, as people, as God moves, that allow the Spirit to move through us and to open the door. That's all we can do. That's why intimacy with the Father is so important. We can't hear the Father, we can't, we can't do anything. Intimacy with the Father is key. Being empowered by the Spirit. This is power evangelism. When the kingdom of God comes, there has to be power because we're fighting against a powerful darkness in this world that is ravaging, breaking, and destroying people's lives. It is arrogant of us to think that only words could, could fight that. People don't need words. They need power. But we are filled with that power, folks. Every single one of us is filled with the same power that filled Jesus Christ. Every single one of us who follows Jesus, who has the Holy Spirit living in us. I am no different than you. I have no more power than you have. We are all filled with the power of God as we are filled with the Spirit. We've all been given the authority of God. All of us. That's why we're all responsible for bringing his kingdom. Establishing new checkpoints of light throughout the community, throughout our workplaces, throughout the people we run into at Lowe's and Winn-Dixie and Publix and, you know, Target and all those places that we shop, all of those places. And so 
whenever an opportunity comes up, we make it easy for you. Like with the life course, your response should never be, well, I've been to the life course a million times. Because I'm not hearing enough stories of power during testimony time. You know why the life, you know, it should make sense now why the life course weekends are so powerful. Why? Because we have lost people on them. And when we say, come Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God comes in an unusually powerful way because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And the, the gifts of the Spirit exist to authenticate the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And they also exist to authenticate it to us when we forget to heal us. So I'm not saying the gifts don't exist here, that we're not going to be healed here, that Christians can't experience the kingdom of God. That's ridiculous. I'm not saying that. We all need to be filled. We all need to be healed and continue to be healed and restored for the purpose, though, of building his kingdom. Does that make sense? And so last night, this is what we did. This is what we did. As we had everybody come forward, pretty much. And we said, we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. I'm going to pray for God to anoint us as evangelists And this week, we're going to go out and go for it. And then next week, we're going to have testimonies about the power of God going out from us. And so we had everyone up here, and something really cool happened. As I was kind of listening to God and what God wanted to do, the Spirit began to just prophesy through different people in the group that normally never say anything. And I just call them and say, what's God saying to you? And they just say it. What's God saying to you? They say it. One girl, what's this God saying to you? She started weeping. My heart is broken for orphans. I'm not called to know it. I'm called to take them in. You don't do stuff like that with your life unless you hear and feel the power of God in your life calling you to do that. Another person said, she didn't say this out loud, but I talked to her afterwards. She said, I felt this excitement and this like emotional charge going through me. And, the, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, this is an excitement. This is power. And it's gonna go out from you this week. And a number of people started giving like prophetic words that were encouraging everybody to really go for it. Now, obviously, with, you know, 400 people, we can't do that. But I'm going to ask everyone to stand. We're going to have a time of ministry, and we're going to go for the same thing. Anybody who wants to come forward for prayer, we'd love for you to get prayer. But my expectation as the church leader is this. All of us, this is my goal with the talk. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. This week, next week, all of us are looking for opportunities for God to bring his kingdom. The power of his kingdom through us. Aren't you tired? I mean, just be honest with me. Don't you get a little tired of not being the one who's up here giving a crazy testimony? I know I do. That's what makes me hungry. I want to be the one, Lord. Choose me. Who will go? I'll go. I'll do it. I'll say it. I'll go. Let's not settle. Let's not come next week hoping that someone else has testimonies. Let's come with our own. And the way we will testify about the power of God as we hear from God and we open the door and let people walk through. So let's stand right now. We're going to invite the Spirit to come, minister to us.